should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist on the Michelle Miao Show with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, where we bring people together from different backgrounds to talk about race, racism, and current events. Today in the studio, I have um, an old friend of mine, Ali Morero, and I have a woman from, an, another woman from the East Coast right now, um, Rosdelma Serafine. I'm gonna have each of them, I'm gonna have each of them introduce themselves, but today we're going to be talking about disasters, race, and what's happening currently. Ali, would you introduce yourself and say also a little bit about, about your cultural background? Yeah, hi, Ali Marrero Calderon. Um, I'm from Puerto Rico, born in Puerto Rico. I'm an army brat, so I was raised here in California. So I consider myself a Cali Rican. I am a of mixed race and color, and I am Puerto Rican, a hundred percent. Thank you. Okay, Rostelma, would you would you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Uh, hello, my name is Rosdelma Saracen. Um, I currently reside in in Rhode Island, but I am originally from Dominica. Um, and that is not to be confused with the Dominican Republic. Uh, Dominica is a small island in the um, in the West Indies, in the, in the Virgin Islands, in the Lester Antilles Islands. Um, I was born there, and I moved to the United States when I was uh, nine years old, and I've lived here and, and gone through the school system here. Currently, I work um, at Bryant University in Smithfield, Rhode Island, as um, uh, the coordinator for international student integration uh, in the Center for Diversity and Inclusion. And international affairs. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, on the news, we are constantly hearing about all the major disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, mass shootings. Both of you uh, have been directly impacted by recent hurricanes. Are we seeing the whole picture? When we watch the news, are we seeing the whole picture, and what are we not seeing? Ali, let's start with you. No, of course we're not seeing the whole picture. Um, I'm even going to give the example of yesterday, the visit by the man, uh, 45, and how they move the cameras every time. I think somebody was saying something against what was going on, which is the fact that we're not getting the help on the island that's needed. They are... They have the ability, the U.S. has the ability to really go in there and check in on all these towns outside of the capital of San Juan and the metropolitan area to make sure that people are there, that there's a count, that um, there's people writing SOS up on their roofs and nobody's getting there to, to help. So... You know, I understand that it's an island. The whole Caribbean is full of islands. And the devastation that this uh, hurricane left is not just the devastation of Puerto Rico, it's the devastation of islands like Barbuda, like Dominica, like the Dominican Republic, like Cuba. Um, the whole Caribbean has been affected by this hurricane. And 
I'm not just putting it on the U.S. I think international aid, too. And I know that the, the U.S. has blocked some international aid to Puerto Rico because it's not flying a U.S. flag. And being a U.S. Um, quote-unquote protectorate, we're a colony, and that's how we're being treated. So, of course, I can see from out here the lack of response. Not that there is no response, just the lack and the quickness. We, we are a military force, and... That's what they're showing now is just the military power. Now, but you have family in Puerto Rico, right? Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so have you been in contact with any of them, or have you not been able to find them? What's the situation? Um, actually, I've been in contact with pretty much all my family. Uh, some of my cousins moved, um, actually left the island, or, and they're in the mainland. Uh, the only auntie I haven't heard from is uh, my auntie who lives in... in um, Rio Grande, but I know she's okay because people have been checking in on them. And uh, yesterday I just heard from my, my one aunt that was kind of a holdout and she's okay. And, you know, she stayed in her apartment and she's with one of her daughters. And um, that's great. Um, some friends I haven't heard from yet, but I'm hoping. Rostelma. What is the situation in Dominica, and what is the situation with your family? Yes. So, um, you know, in terms of you saying, uh, you know, has, is the media portraying the full story? They're absolutely not. Um, as you know, Dominica was hit, um, and the eye was over Dominica at a Category 5. And um, if you look at pictures of Dominica before and now, it's like, it's as, as if um, it's almost like a wasteland, like, you know, the island was completely stripped of everything, and agriculture, which is what was the main export, is completely, you know, gone at this point. So people are, you know, has been brought to their knees. And, and you know, like I've explained to many people, Dominica is a um, an island where, you know, people are happy, they thrive, you know, and, and they take care of themselves, they take care of each other. And the media isn't really covering, and aid has not gotten to Dominica quick enough, and enough aid has not gotten to Dominica. Um, my family has lost pretty much everything, and, you know, I still have my mother on the island, my my two brothers, my uh, two sisters. I have um, a baby nephew and a nephew who is uh, five years old. So, um, you know, and, and my brother told me, you know, what it was like in the hurricane, you know, my mother made the executive decision to move from the house that they were in to another um, small um, concrete room that was next door to the house. And as they were doing that in the middle of the hurricane, uh, you know, the roof started to fly off and, you know, the house started to break down and um, galvanizers flying everywhere. So, you know, a tree fell in front of them and they went into this other room and the ocean started coming into the room. So. You know, he explained, the way he said it is like, you know, we almost died. And that just brought tears to my eyes. And, like, every time I see, you know, my island in this state, it just, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And, um, you know, so much, so much is needed. Dominica is an independent island. And, um, you know, it, it will not be able to afford what it needs on its own in order to move to the next level, you know, to do the cleanup and to rebuild and to regain all the agriculture of the island. So, you know, I have hope and I have faith that it can be done, but it can't be done. You know, we're not a silo. We don't exist as a silo by ourselves. So we definitely need all the help that we can get. I mean, I've got to ask this question because Dominica, Puerto Rico, mostly people of color, mostly brown and black people. Not all, but mostly. Do you think that race plays any role in the way both islands are being portrayed and in the way that they're either getting or not getting aid? Um, I can go first. Sure. I absolutely, I absolutely think so. I, I absolutely think so. I mean, historically, you know, as we've seen in the United States and around the world, you know, black and brown people have not gotten, um, you know, firsthand aid when 
you know, when there are disasters, like even in the United States with New Orleans, you know, see how long it took for the poorest communities to get what they needed, you know, what had to happen, like so many deaths and so many lives were lost. Look at what's happening in Puerto Rico, you know, with, you know, as our uh, other guest speaker said, when the, when the number 45 went to Puerto Rico, um, I felt like People are hurting right now. You don't need to strip them of their dignity. These are people with dignity, and, you know, they love their country, and they're in a place right now that they're hurting, and that's with Dominica. And to throw paper towels at people and to make them think like, oh, you know, you have it good, you know, or, or you're, you're causing more of an issue for us, you know, because you're causing a lot of debt. And it's just really sad. And, you know, with Dominica, which is predominantly black West Indians and indigenous people, you know, I watched a a, um, a segment uh, on YouTube, and this reporter said, it's almost as if Dominica didn't exist, and in a way it doesn't. You know, and when I heard that, I just started crying, because that's the mentality that um, is perpetuated. And of course, Dominica won't exist, you know, and hopefully not, because we're, we're black and brown people there. Ali, what's your take on it? Of course, race plays into this. Um, I'm taken so deep. Uh, well, Rosana, Ros, perdona, Rostema um, was just saying because I think that. Um, you know, when it, <clears throat> when it was good for this country to have um, the the Caribbean as as a a starting point of defense for the Americas, uh, back in the early 1900s, it um, it hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is the population that we've grown. And there's more of us, and there's more of us now. And I think that that's a big threat. When we look at this country, um, the fact of your skin color, I, I don't have a big accent. You know, that was pretty much beaten out of me in this country. I spoke Spanish and French when I came here. I had a lose to French. I never lost the Spanish because in my house, that was it. That was our main language. But in the schools, I literally learned how to speak English in a way that nobody would ever doubt what I was saying. And I think that that's where it all starts. I was called a dirty Puerto Rican when I was seven years old in the South, in Alabama, in Kentucky. You know, that's how I grew up. So for me, race has always been an issue. Mm -hmm. And so race in our little islands, and I'm talking about all of the Caribbean islands because we're mm -hmm. all, I, I just don't know any of the Caribbean islands that aren't of indigenous and from African slaves. Mm -hmm. so does it surprise you? <laughs> I was just listening to, I can't remember what report that said, a huge amount of Americans, maybe even most, don't know that technically Puerto Rico is part of the United States? Yeah. We're not in the history. We're not even in the news. If it weren't for this hurricane, we would not be in the news. Even on the Latino stations, we get nothing about what's going on in the Caribbean. We know about Venezuela. We know about Mexico. We know what happens in Central America and South America. But even in the Latin stations, do we hear about Dominica, the Dominican Republic, or even, mm. you know, we don't. Well, I'd like to take a second to, to thank you very much. We're going to take a commercial break right now. And when we come back, we'll be back with uh, Ali Moreau and, with, and, Ros and Roselmo Serafine to talk about disasters, race, and racism and the aftermath of these disasters. The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. 
More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook. And when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist, again on the Michelle Meow Show with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, where we bring people together from different backgrounds to talk about issues of race, racism, and current events. Today, we're talking to Ali Marrero and Rosdelma Serafine, and we're talking about issues of race, racism, major disasters that have hit both of their islands. Um, Ali, I'd like to go back for a minute and look at the history of Puerto Rico and mainland United States. It seems to me that there has been a history of racism in the United States towards people who are Puerto Rican. Can you say something about that? Yeah. I mean, it exists. When we became citizens of the United States in 1917, it was for one reason and one reason only. World War I, they were losing too many American boys, and they gave us citizenship and immediately, immediately drafted our boys to go to war. And all these at this time, you know, we're, we're talking about um, people who were working the cane fields, people who were... Uh, needing jobs and security. And so, yeah, let me go to war and uh, get this citizenship. Now, given the military, the strategic, so Puerto Rico became a strategic island for the U.S. When, when uh, it took over the island in 1898, it became a strategic because you remember they're digging the Panama Canal and they needed that protection. And that was the main, the main entrance, was, was this big island that was 100 miles long and 35 miles wide. And in the middle of it, they put the largest radio telescope in the world. And that was so that they could keep track of everything that was going on in the Atlantic in protection of the Panama Canal, because that was money. And yeah, of course that's about race. We're not a people, we're a people of many colors. We are rainbow people. We are um, all mixed. We're Spanish, we're African, we're Indian, we're native. We're native to our country. You know, 85% of us are still natives. So yes, of course race has when has race not played a role in U.S. history? Well, you know, I remember growing up in New York that 
when it came to housing, there was a time that it was very difficult for Puerto Rican people to get to rent apartments. And that I knew a lot of Puerto Rican people who would, like if their last name was, was, was had a Spanish surname, they would say to the landlord, oh, but I'm from Spain. Because they used to make the differentiation between Spain and, and Puerto Rico. Yeah. Yeah, right there. And Rose and, and Rostelma, what is yeah. what 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 how do you think immigration is going to be impact going to be affected? Do you think a lot of people are gonna be trying to leave Dominica and, and will they be coming where do you think they'll be going to if they can get out? Uh, yes, I do believe so. Um, and, I mean, people have, there have been some neighboring islands who have already said that they would be accepting refugees. And, I mean, uh, such as um, uh, Trinidad and Tobago. And, uh, you know, I know some people have family in Martinique or St. Lucia. And some neighboring islands are, are definitely willing to help and to take people in. But then, you know, when they go there, if they don't have any family or anyone to receive them, how will they, um, you know, how will they sustain themselves in a lifestyle, you know? Um, as far as the United States with um, the new immigration policies and, and laws that are being passed, it makes it extremely difficult for people to come to this, come to the United States. Um, you know, fortunately, like, I'm here and I'm a U.S. citizen, so... What I'm trying to do now, because, you know, in Dominica, for my family, it's a day-to-day kind of like survival. And the part of the island that my family is from in Sufria, uh, resources are not able to reach them because the roads are completely destroyed. And so my brother actually has had to take a small boat. And, you know, every time he takes the boat to Martinique and risks his life, essentially, on the small boat to get food and water for my family... You know, it's just it, it's just a hard thing to think about. So, um, you know, I'm in in the process of trying to figure out what I can do to help at least some of my family members who are there to, you know, visit here for uh, you know for a six month or something like that, just so that they can um, get off the island because right now it's dangerous and looting and when people are desperate, things like looting happens and you know, there is um, violence that starts. So, um, and with small children on the island, not getting enough food, not getting enough water, who knows what could happen. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I pray and hope that people are able to stay on the island and resources are able to come to them. But at this point, um, I don't know. I just don't know what to, what to say. I, all I can do is stay hopeful. What kind of help would you like from the United States, if in the ideal world? Mm-hmm. Um, in the ideal world, as I said, Dominique is an independent island. So in order to rebuild um, things that have been broken, you know, uh, the industries, the different corporations and things like that, we need money. We need money to be put into the island. Or if not, then have, like, people, engineers and different, like, the island is still without electricity, you know, just as Puerto Rico. The entire island has no electricity, um, no running water for most, you know, the entire island. Um, my brother actually got laid off from his job because there's no, what the work that he does, he's unable to do. So, um, so in the ideal world, just to see what the need is on the island and being able to help you know, um, from a human humanitarian aspect, being able to send the help that is needed, you know, whether it is to rewire the entire island um, for electricity or to build the necessary um, pipe systems to, so people can have water, uh, whether it is sending uh, whatever kind of trucks or whatever is needed to clean up all the debris from the trees that have been, you know, ripped from the earth on the island, you know, to, to, to help build, rebuild the island. In an ideal world, that's what we would need. And um, right now, like like I said, agriculture is like the main export for the island, and all the farms are destroyed. So, um, you know, <laughs> we're at the mercy of the world right now. Dominica is at the mercy of the world, and 
um, you know, we, we just have to look for our friends in other places to come and, and to our aid and to, like, have good hearts and to help help us to rebuild. Um, and it's nothing that a Dominican wouldn't do, you know. Uh, Dominica actually sent its resources. We had stored resources for natural disasters, and Dominica took what it had and sent it to Barbuda and other islands that were affected wow. before the Category 5 hurricane hit. So that just shows the heart of the people who live there. And when it came for Hurricane Maria to hit the island, we had already sent our resources out, and so we didn't have any. So, you know, as I said, um, that's what we need. We need people to see the need and to really um, rise to the occasion and help. Are you get, has there been help or promise of help from any other places? Um, yes, yeah, so we have been getting some help from the French and from some from the British. Um, and I, as I said, other islands uh, have been sending some, you know, food and water and resources. A lot of the food and water is going to the um, the capital, which is Rozo. And so it's been um, difficult to actually get all, uh, every part of the island, these resources. Like I said, my area, Sufria, is cut off from Rozo, and in order to get there, you have to take a boat um, to the other part of the island to get it. So everybody's not getting what they need. Um, and of course, that's a concern. Um, I have decided to adopt Sufria and adopt um, the village that I'm from and the village next to it. And so whatever resources I collect, like I will send it to Martinique so that from Martinique, it could go directly to that area. And I've also started a GoFundMe because, as I said, my family has lost everything, and, um, you know, it's just unimaginable. So just to help my community and to help my family, I've also started a GoFundMe. Okay, so if somebody wants to donate to GoFundMe, what where would they go? Um, they can go to the website and they can search my name, Rose Delma Serafin, and my GoFundMe will pop up um, and they will be able to donate that way. And Ali, it seems like Puerto Rico is at the uh, mercy, not of the world, because the United States, and they're saying that other places can't bring in supplies. Is that what you said? Well, because of the Jones Act. Mm. So you um, tell, so would you tell people about the Jones Act? Well, basically, I did. It was around the Panama Canal and the building ah, of that. Okay, they did okay. the Jones Act because then the U.S., seeing Puerto Rico as a protectorate, said this, that no. Um, and it was the truth before. Uh, no foreign flag will make any deliveries or cross this side. So um, because of that, they just lifted it a couple of days ago so that we can receive aid from other countries. One of the things I wanted to say, because what Rosdelma was saying is so true, the U.S. has a plethora, the CBs. I mean, back in the day, they went and threw um, something happened. The Army came in, the Army civil engineers, and built a bridge. There are bridges mm -hmm. down right now. They have the resources. This country has the resources to build the bridges and build roads. You know, even if it's a makeshift road, they have the resources here. Why are those resources not going to the Caribe? And I'm not just talking about Puerto Rico. I'm talking about Dominica, the Dominican Republic. Our mm. coffee is gone. Our mm. everything is gone. It took one end of the island and out the other. You know, uh, infrastructure that's years and years old, you know, that now is being privatized so that, of course, the developers can come in and build what they need to build. And when we come back from break, I'm going to ask you about the most recent interaction between Trump and the mayor of San Juan. <laughs> but we're, so we're going to take a commercial. We're going to take a commercial break. And when we come back, we'll be back with with Ali and Rose Delma talking about about disasters, race, and racism, and the current situation. But right now, we're taking a commercial break. 
The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Hi, this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist, back again with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People on the Michelle Miao Show. And today we're talking to Ali Marrero and Rosdelma Serafine, and we're talking about destruction, race, racism, and the current situation. Um, Ali, looking at Puerto Rico, I was a little taken aback by... Trump's interaction with the mayor of San Juan. What's your take on all of that? I think it's all political, but <clears throat> basically he's a misogynist. And he's a Republican, she's a Democrat. You know, but basically it's because he's a misogynist and she is such a strong woman. She is for her island. She is for her city, you know. And for, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't. He's just such a. I was, well, I was, I was shocked. Uh, Roselma, did you, you, you saw it, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And I, I was absolutely shocked myself, you know, and I think, uh, um, you know, I read somewhere, a president's behavior should serve as an example and a guide to the American people who are going through pain and in past presidents, we've seen that transpire on how presidents act, you know. And um, instead, you know, number 45 has just, uh, you know, the way he's acted, again, like um, Ali said, he's a chauvinist. And, you know, the way he, he, he is re reacted to women, the history of what has been said in the media and what has come up about him, I, I'm disgusted, but I'm not surprised, you know. So, yeah. yeah. Well, was it just chauvinism? Do you think that he would have? Yeah, because you know he might have said the same thing to a man. I was what because what I was looking at was the tone of voice and what he said about Puerto Rico and the people in Puerto Rico. Yeah, like we're responsible for this situation, and not the U.S. takes no responsibility, yeah. absolutely no responsibility for the actions yeah, of this country. And also there's this myth and this belief. Um, I find that free things, free stuff is and resources are disproportionately given to black and brown people. I don't know why that there's this myth, but um, but I feel like it, it really enables the, the, the government 
to um, act accordingly and to serve the public and to serve black and brown people in a way that they really should. And um, you can see that now even more so than ever. Do you get a sense, I mean, because I get a sense sometimes when I, when I was watching how they're talking about the Caribbean and how they're t- about some, you know, they talk about some islands of the Caribbean differently than other islands and about Puerto Rico as though these are welfare states and it's like we give them all our old clothes. What are they complaining about? Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And you should just be grateful for what you have and don't ask for anything else, you know. And in time of crisis, the, you know, the blaming, it's the blaming, the blame game that, that's happening right now. Yeah, and as I said, it's just, mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems to me that we are not going to be able, when I say we, I mean the big collective we, won't be able to deal with issues of race or stop inequality in terms of, of who you help and who you don't help, unless we are able to talk about race. Yeah. So I'm going to ask both of you, uh, what's been your experience around race and racism, and do you think we need to start to keep having those conversations? Okay. I think always we need to keep having those conversations, you know. I think that historically this country was built by people with color other than white. And this, it's historical. It's historical and now it's global. You know what I say? We live in a global capitalist dictatorship. (laughs) We are, if we're not consuming, we're not happy. And one of the things that happens now, and even as far as making an announcement, if you're going to look at new kicks, new sneakers, new whatever, who are, who's going to be on the front page of that? It's going to be a person of color. It's going to be either a, a female uh, athlete of color or a male athlete of color. It's, never, it's usually not. It's usually not some white girl or white person who's on the front because who are they going to sell to? Everything is based on race in this country. I think my belief, everything, my experience, race and class. And we need to continue to talk about it without fear. I'm not going to hate you because you're a white Jew. I'm not. Well, I also know you for a long time, but you know what I'm saying is yeah. that's not where I'm coming from, and I don't think that's where most Americans come from, unless they fear. And I think that fear breeds hatred, and hatred breeds war. And fear is based on race. That person does not look like me. I'm afraid of that person. I've been told this about that person. So I'm going to hate that person, and when I get a chance, I'm going to get rid of that person. And I just believe that. that that's our politics here in this country. And how about you, Rosalma? You're, you're a lot younger than both of us, so I'd love to get your perspective. Sure. And, you're, um, and hear any, any of your experience coming here yeah, to the United I, States. Absolutely. So... Um, I definitely think we need to continue having these conversations. I think we need to, um, you know, white people, and I work, as as I said, I work in a center for diversity and inclusion, and the people I work with are are from all different backgrounds, and uh, we try to educate ourselves as much as possible with regards to um, what privilege means, you know, and I think understanding privilege is, is, is one of the, is a major step having these conversations because I think some people really don't know that they have privilege, you know, and, and, and as Ali said, privilege is opening up uh, a magazine and, you know, seeing white people, seeing more people of a certain race um, and, and understanding beauty through that lens, you know. So for me, coming from an island where um, it's predominantly people of African descent um, and coming to this the United States, I definitely experienced a lot of culture shock because the way I, you know, in Dominica, my doctor is my lawyer, is my, 
my physicians, my teachers were black, you know, so I saw uh, myself in, in, in those places. When I came to the United States, it's like I had to sort of like, I mean, I had to fight to continue to see myself in these places. I had to fight to continue to see myself as, you know, a beautiful black woman because uh, to be beautiful, you had to have light skin. You had to have long blonde hair and, you know, certain color eyes. So in my experience, um, you know, you have to have a continuous self-love and a strong community in order to help you go through these things. So... Um, we definitely need to continue to have these these um, conversations, and um, you know, understanding privilege is a big step uh, to to that. So, would you say we need to have these conversations across race, across culture, or should people just be yeah. talking amongst themselves? No, across race and, and across cultures. I think you know, and especially now when Obama was in uh, office. Uh, I felt like a lot of white people wanted to believe that we were in a post-racial society. Um, and this is a huge wake-up call that we're not. For me, I was even surprised with, you know, the, the white supremacists, the, the uprising of these white supremacists. They're millennials like me, you yeah. know. And I thought, oh, my, I had this, oh, my God, like, moment, like, where it was, I thought it was, like, the grandmothers and the great-grandmothers, like, sitting around the table and having these, like, you know, I hate, brown and black people or I hate, you know, Jewish people and all this stuff. And it's not. It's these millennials who are my age. And so that is a huge wake-up call. Um, our president, number 45, is a huge wake-up call to what the mindset of some people in this country. And I don't want to make a generalization, but a lot that this country needs to heal and really needs to, um, we need to do more as People of, across all different races, all different socioeconomic backgrounds. If you're a person who has power, and you and and you can make a difference, you should make a difference. You should try to have these conversations. If you're an organization, you need to um, be be cognizant of um, this global, um, our global society, and and bring in trainings into your your organization of how to be more culturally competent. It's really important. We have to be able to learn how to work with each other, learn how to communicate with each other, and learn how to live with each other uh, in a community respectfully. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad you made that comment about millennials because, you know, I do a lot of consulting and I do training and speaking. And so often I would run into people, mostly white, but not always, who would say, you know, young people today don't need this. They don't need to hear about diversity because they're just so open. They're so open. They're colorblind, blah, 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 blah. And I would, and my response always has been, well, who's bullying other people? Who's bullying other young people? Young people. Who are the skinheads? So I think we need to, so, so thank you for busting that stereotype. And Ali, you look like you wanted to say something. No, no, she was on point. So as Denma, you're on point with this. The other thing is that we need to communicate. The, the reality, I want to say, if, if um, I want to just say something towards the end of this, but when, when you're kind of born and raised in this country and you're of another color, you're already treated that way from the beginning. When you come from another land and another culture and you're coming into this country, it's like the culture shock and the, the damage that gets done to your self-esteem as a little person is so intense, you know, that we, don't, we go through life not thinking about our cultural wounds. We do. We go through life. La, da, da. I have to survive, right? So one of the things that I see and that I've seen historically here in the Bay Area is the ability for people of cultures and of different colors to come together and uh, work towards a common goal. And I think eradicating racism in our lifetime is a nice goal. I don't think it's going to happen, but 
damn, I sure would love to be working towards that. Well, I, you know, Ali, thank you. I want to, I want to continue talking about that and um, talk a little bit about what we can do, some solutions. And we'll do that when we come back from the break. This is Sima Lieberman, The Inclusionist, on the Michelle Meow Show with Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People. And we will be back after the break. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. The Commonwealth Club of California is the nation's leading public forum engaged with the most important issues of the day. More than 450 times each year, we feature programs on politics, LGBT issues, literature, science, entertainment, and more. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook. And when you're in the Bay Area, join us in person for our daily programs. Learn more about the club at commonwealthclub.org. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Hi, we're back. This is Sima, the inclusionist, with everyday conversations on race for everyday people on the Michelle Meow Show. And today I have Ali Marrero and Ross Delma Serafine, and we are talking about destruction, disaster, race, racism. And before the break, we were talking about the need to have more conversations on race, the need to work together to eradicate racism. Uh, I have to, I ask everybody this question because I, I keep on hearing it over and over again. We, we know we need to have conversations on race. Do you think that shaming, blaming, and making people, and making like white people feel bad, is that the best way to deal with racism? No. I think that really honest conversation, and again, I say that we need to try to break down those stereotypes that cause us to fear others. And I think that if, let's say if I were speaking, and I have, I mean, I treated skinheads for crying out loud, you know, when I was doing uh, substance abuse counseling. And, And looking at their relationship with me, how that changed in our conversations, that can happen. People can change. I mean, it's the only constant we have, right? And so if we don't, we need to have our hearts and our minds open going into this work, because if you can't do that, you can't do this work. If you cannot see the other person and try to grasp anything inside there that touches you in your heart, then you say, I'm the same as this person. My trauma is similar to this person. And then how do we work through that? We, th- there are, you know, 
Facing race, this conference that happens every two years, to me is an amazing thing. It's run by youth, you know, and it's looking at how do we break down stereotypes? How do we communicate with each other? How do we do this? There's a way. There are differently, different ways. We just need to have honest conversations and, and start with, you know what? I'm afraid of, I'm as afraid of you as you are of me. Yeah, well, and thank you for sharing your uh, experience of working with skinheads and how you saw some change. Uh, back to Roselma, what, what about you? What have you, what have you noticed? What have you experienced? Um, well, uh, coming to this country, I actually moved into a small um, community, and they called it a bedroom community where it was predominantly um, white people. And um, so my experience is, like, I have a lot of friends who are Caucasian. And to me, um, and, and I experienced racism growing up in my community because, you know, where there are times where I was I was the only... Um, black person in the school, you know, the only black student in the school or in my grade. And things would happen like birthday parties and, you know, things, people would invite uh, people to their homes and I would never get an invitation. Or I would have friends at school, but then when I would see them in public with their families, they wouldn't say hello to me. So I experienced that and that was very painful for me as a child. But I understood why, not understood, but I... I I, I learned what racism was at a very early age um, growing, up, growing up. And to me, I definitely, we definitely need to continue to have these conversations. And there should be no blaming or shaming, but rather for people to have an openness to understanding. Um, and to, to avoid these conversations or to, no one's, I'm sorry, so no one's trying to make anyone feel bad. You know, because, you know, I've heard, well, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't cause racism or I'm not racism, slavery. You know, my ancestors did that. But you have to understand, like, how systematically it's continued to affect black and brown people in, the, in this United States. And so I think understanding uh, the history behind all of it and understanding, although you are, you know, someone who's Caucasian, is open to everybody or whatever the case may be, we still have to have these conversations so we can make ourselves aware and we, we can learn so that we can break these um, uh, systematic uh, continuations. We can break, we can change the system on how we serve each other and how we look at each other and how we love each other. And I so, just, oh, go um, ahead. Mm -hmm, go ahead, sorry. No, I want to say shout out to white people. I don't normally do this. But do you hear this? You are needed. You are needed in the discussion. So when yes. you're starting to feel like you're not needed, you're starting to feel threatened, you're starting to feel like I'm excluded, you are needed. Speak up. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and honestly, it, it takes um, people like you, Sima, to continue to have these conversations because for me sometimes, like, if I say, oh, let's talk about race and let's, let's do all, let's, let's try to combat, like, all the evils of racism, people might look at me as the angry black woman, you mm -hmm. know? Oh, she wants to talk about these things, but sometimes, like, I will have to pass it on to you, Sima, and say, you know, can you please encourage white people to have these conversations and to feel comfortable having these conversations and to see how we can encourage change and move, move the process along and change the system. So we need everybody's hand, and we do need white people to be bold enough to, to take a stand. And I've been seeing on social media, you know, some people who are speaking up, and I, I encourage that. I love to see that because people are aware that this, this is what needs to happen. So we need allies, you know, in this, um, in this struggle because we're not a post-racial uh, society. No, and why should we be? Why should we right. be post-racial? Exactly. Why? Exactly. So many times I'll hear people say to me, well, I'm so proud of my child. I asked her who Susan was. And instead of saying the little, the girl, with the, the black girl, the brown girl, she says, oh, Susan's the girl in the blue dress. 
And I said, yeah, but you know what? If there's two Susans, they might say, that's white Susan, that's the one with the white skin, that's the one with the black skin. It's, it's not that they don't, it's, it has nothing to do with not seeing color. It's the judgments that people put on color, that it's bad. So why is it bad to see, notice somebody's color? I always tell people, if you don't see color, then how will you know what kind of sweater to get somebody for their birthday? You won't know what looks good on them. And exactly. also, if you don't see color, you don't see me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, using I'm colorblind, I see everybody the same. Yeah, we all have red blood. But if we don't recognize that we're different, how do we embrace it? How do we exactly. embrace difference? Because we need to. This country was made on difference, supposedly, right? Yeah. Historically, we're the melting pot. Well, guess what? There's a bunch of us that can't melt. You know? Right. You know? And I totally agree. And, you know, to like you, you both said, uh, not seeing my color is, is not seeing a big part of me. My color is part of me. And so, you know, it's okay to say this black woman, you know, I, I, I'm fine saying this white woman. So, um, you know, and... And I think we need to talk about the complexity of identities and the intersectionality of identities. We should have these conversations because that's celebrating difference, and it's okay. And, we're all, and, and we all have so many identities, and that's where we find the commonality. And once we find that commonality, then it's easier to talk about difference because what I heard both of you talk about was the importance of having interaction with people who are different. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you think that having interaction with people who are different, do you think that that can help break down stereotypes, even if we're feeling uncomfortable? Definitely, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, and I I mean, some stereotypes are true to certain communities, but um, it's when they're taken out of context and you're not part of that community and you try to to use that stereotype against that person. Uh, It's just sort of understanding... um, Again, like you said, understanding, breaking down the stereotypes and understanding whether they're a myth or, you know, if they're true and how to understand it in the context of that culture. And you were, one of you were, was talking a few minutes ago about somebody saying, well, it wasn't my, an- it was my ancestors, it wasn't me, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if, I say it was my, if I say it was my ancestors, it wasn't me, but then I say that I don't support racism... If I don't support it, then I need to do something about what's happening now because racism wasn't just something from 1865. And I don't know if did any of you did either one of you watch the VMA awards? No, no. I watch all those award shows. Um, I like I like hip hop, but uh, the Robert E. Lee's like great great Robert E. Lee's great great grandson. Um, was came to the VMA awards and he and he escorted Heather Heyer's mother. Heather Heyer was the young woman who was killed in Charlottesville, and he said it is time to break down. He said it's time to get rid of the monuments. He said it's time to stop deifying my great great grandfather, whatever he was. He talked about issues of race, racism. He talked about white privilege. As a, he's a pastor, and as a result. He got kicked out of his. He got kicked out of his church, but he did not say because he could have said, "Hey, that's my ancestor. That's not me." But he's taking some personal responsibility, and I encourage everybody. If you haven't seen the VMA Awards, see the end of it when, you, and, and you'll see his speech. He was great. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and also, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that you know, turning when you turn a blind eye to the issues of racism in this country because you don't want to deal with it, um, then you're only adding to the problem of it. You know, so uh, definitely talking about it and and even if it's uncomfortable, forcing yourself into that uncomfortable place because it will make a difference in the long run. Thank you both so much. It's time to wrap up the show. Uh, Any last words? Yes, I just want to say that today at 4.30 at 1301 Clay Street, the Ron Dellums building in Oakland, there will be a protest. That's happening nationwide, but today this protest is against La Junta, saying no 
a la Junta de Puerto Rico, which you know is the, are the judges that are now in the island trying to figure out our budget. Uh, Roselma, any last minute word? Yes, I just wanted to say thank you for the opportunity to be on your show and to tell my story. And um, I just encourage people to, you know, reach out and tell somebody, just tell somebody the help that is needed in both Dominica and Puerto Rico. And Rose Delmer Serafine, if you are, if, if, if you would like to help out, Rose Delmer Serafine for the GoFundMe. And thank you all very much. Signing off on the Michelle Meow Show.